and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Tom Job gave us a message on Sunday morning, November 7th, 2021, that we did not get recorded. So he has graciously offered to come back into the studio and re-give this message into a mic just for you. So this is from Luke chapter 7. Hey, so you know that thing where um, all of a sudden you see something happening and you ask yourself, what am I looking at? I'm not really sure what I'm seeing right now. Like I know somebody that has a collection of pictures that they took and the pictures are all different kinds of people and they all have their hand, like their arms pointed to like the left with their palms up and one palm on top of the other. And it's people, and you're like, what am I looking at? Is it looks like people doing some kind of regional folk dance or something, but you know it's not that because it's people from every country of the world, just with their palms out, one palm on top of the, each other to the left. And then and you're like, what, what am I looking at? And it turned out that what it was, was, um, you know that thing where people go to the Leaning Tower of Pisa and they decide they're going to take that picture of them standing beside the Leaning Tower of Pisa like they're holding it up, you know, with their palms holding it up? Well, apparently, people from all over the world think that is the funniest joke in the entire world. So this person just stood there one day and took pictures, but he took it from such a from like a perspective that you weren't able to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and all you could see were the people standing there. And so you're just looking at these pictures, this picture, thinking, "What am I looking at?" So I remember one time there was a guy. I think he was like a Lutheran, a Lutheran pastor, and he had a volunteer job at the hospital, and he was going to the hospital taking some equipment that somebody. Had donated and he ran out of gas on his way and he had like his clerical collar on and was wearing his big cross and everything and so um he had just passed a gas station about a quarter mile back so he thought okay i'm gonna walk back the only thing that he had to carry gasoline in was like a hospital bedpan so he said okay i'll go back there i'll buy 37 cents worth of gas and it'll be enough for me to drive back to the gas station and fill up so he filled up this bedpan with about 37 cents worth of gasoline carefully walked it back to his car set it on the ground opened the gas like the the where like the gas knob you know the gas thing where you put the gas in unscrewed the knob and carefully picked up this bedpan and was pouring the gasoline into the gas tank and a guy passed and just looked at this whole scene and he thought if that is not faith i have never seen it you know, so um, so there's this place in Luke chapter 7 where something happened in this guy's house. It was kind of a scene that unfolded in front of him, and he watched it, and he's like, what is happening? I mean, what am I looking at? I'm not really sure what I'm seeing right now. What had happened was, so Jesus had made a comment about the Pharisees, which were kind of a religious, kind of a political, religious party sort of thing. And it was no big thing. He just kind of, he said, you know, it's kind of like um, if we play something sad, you're not sad. If, and you don't dance if we play a peppy tune. I mean, that's nothing. Well, this guy decided, you know what? I'm going to give you a lesson in 
public humiliation. So he decided to have a dinner, a big dinner, and invite a lot of people and invite Jesus also. So biblical scholars tell us back in those days when people had, you know, had a lot of money they and had big houses, their house, their, their living room could hold a lot of people. They generally slept upstairs. And around the house was a courtyard that was kind of a semi-public place where if you were having a big dinner, so because they hadn't invented glass yet, they didn't have windows, they just kind of had archways. And people could stand around in the courtyard around your house, kind of like the Academy Awards when they have like the red carpet and you go and see what kind, what celebrities are coming over. So people could stand in this courtyard and watch whatever celebrities were coming to this dinner. So typically what a person would do when they were having a big dinner when the guests arrive is there would be somebody whose responsibility would be to be at the door and take water and wash, like kind of rinse off the feet of the people that were coming in so their feet were clean, didn't have dust and whatever on them. And then they would take this oil that maybe the same person would take oil that was kind of rose scented and they would pour it on your head because they just thought this is the most, you know, refreshing thing ever. I mean, I personally think it would be yucky, but I've also never done it before. Maybe it is kind of amazing, but that's what they would do. And then the host would get up and he would go to the to the person, greet them and kiss them like on both cheeks as a way of welcoming them and honoring them. So so Jesus came when Jesus he had been invited and he came to this dinner and when he walked into the entrance there was nobody stationed there with water for his feet. And the people on the inside and people on the outside of the house all went, oh. and then nobody got up to pour oil on his head. And everyone went, oh. and then the host of the party did not get up. He just stayed in his seat and didn't get up and give Jesus a kiss of greeting. And everyone went, oh. I mean, it was like so offensive. And at one time, Jesus had said, when you go to a dinner, um, take the low, like a more, the most humble seat you can find. And then the guest will invite you to take like maybe the seat of honor. And that guy was looking at Jesus and was like, "Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, bub. Well, anyway, one of the people that was in the courtyard was a woman. And she actually, well, this it was a woman who had a reputation as, I mean, it says that she was a sinner, but I mean, who isn't? Everybody's a sinner. But the, most biblical scholars think that what they meant by that was that she had a sexual, like, past, that whether she was a prostitute or whether it was just a lifestyle she had lived, but that she, like, a, a, a past of sexual, you know, whatever that was, um, and she was known for that. But this woman stepped into the home. I mean, she was not, she was out of the courtyard into the home where she was not invited and stepped out of the shadows and everyone went, oh! It's what it's her. What what is she doing here? And then the guest was he was kind of shocked, I'm sure. And then all of a sudden, like in my mind, this is how it happened, that this woman was so emotional 
that she just ran to where Jesus was sitting and she fell down where his feet were hitting the floor. And she was like, by this time, she was just like, was sobbing, like just weeping. And maybe she didn't intend to do that, but just the emotion of it all, whatever, she was sobbing and just tears coming down, snot coming out of her nose all over Jesus' feet. She wasn't quite sure what to do. And so she undid her hair and let like her long hair fall down. And she used that to like wipe his feet, you know, the tears and snot and stuff off his feet. And then she took this bottle of perfume that she would bought that was like super expensive And she broke the neck of it and she poured it on Jesus' feet. And and then the host of the party, a guy named Simon, this Pharisee, he was like, what is happening right now? Like, what am I looking at? There's a place in Proverbs chapter 7 that says a prostitute will use her long hair, her kisses. I mean, and so this woman, like after she washed Jesus, wiped Jesus' feet, the snot off, she was kissing his feet and then she poured perfume on him. So Proverbs 7 said, a prostitute will use their long hair, kisses and perfume to attract clients. And he's like, is that what's going on? Like in my house right now, right in front of me? Anyway, Jesus stopped and looked to Simon and said, Simon, I have something to save you. And Simon's like, you think? And Jesus told him a story about two people. And they both, one thing they both had in common is that they both owed somebody money, a lot of money. Um, One owed a lot more than the other, but they both owed money. They had debts and neither one of them could pay their debt. And they were both forgiven of their debt. And then Jesus said to Simon, which one would love the most? And he said, it would be the one who owed the most. So that is like an unbelievably insightful thing, concept, that, you know, all of us are sinners. You know, we know that, like everybody sins, we all sin, blah, blah, blah. And we're guilty of our sin, you know, of our sins because we're all sinners. But the concept that the accumulative weight of all that is a debt I have And you have, I have a debt. Like all the wrong stuff and the messes I've made and the things I've said and thought that I shouldn't have constitute a debt that I can't pay. And that I owed something, that I owed something to God. And you're like, I mean, I know I do wrong stuff, But what do I owe to God? That if I didn't pay it, it would constitute a debt. And I'm like, just think about it for a minute. Just think about it. Okay, I want to ask you a question. 
how did you just do that? How did I just do what? How did, I said, think about it. How did you think about it? Well, I thought about it with my brain. Yes, you have a brain. Your brain is amazing. It has 90 billion neurons that fly around at 260 miles an hour. Your brain can do the number of operations your brain can do in one second is 10 to the 18th power. Like you have this amazing brain. The reason you have a brain is because God gave you a brain. Like God gave you your kidneys. Like next to your brain, your kidneys are probably the most complicated organ in your entire body. And he gave you fingers and he gave you hands and he gave you a body. You have a body. You would not have a brain if God didn't give you one. You wouldn't have a body. You wouldn't exist if God hadn't made you. So like it says in Psalm, I mean, Psalm 139, you know, the reason I'm here is, be, I mean, well, the reason I'm here is because, you know, my parents, like, I guess it's just the natural way everybody gets here. You know, my parents, I grew up here in Oak Ridge, and, um, and when I was a kid, the biggest families in Oak Ridge were the Catholic families, and um, they had the most kids. And but my so and in my family there were seven of us kids and so, and so people used to always think that we were Catholic and they would ask my dad are you all Catholic and my dad said no we're just passionate Protestants so I mean so that's how I got here you know in the natural course of things but from another perspective like scripturally like in the scriptures it says the reason I'm here is that God actually made me like inside my mom it says in one, Psalm one thirty nine he knit me together. I was knit together. In Jeremiah 18, it says, I was like a pot on a potter's wheel, and he just molded me and squeezed me and formed me like a pot. It says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship. And the word workmanship is the, the word in the, the Greek language is the word poema, where we get poem. It's just like he said some words, and I just came into being. And that God, God made me. Like you made you and me. The reason we're here is that God made us. I owe everything to him. I wouldn't be here if he hadn't made me. I owe every beat of my heart. I owe every breath that I take. I owe every motion that I make. I owe all of my life to God. And it's just, and you're, and so you're, it's kind of like, well, what does God want from me? Like, why did God make me? There's one place in, in the book of Genesis, in, this, in the first book, in the second chapter, where it talked about the human, the God, the first human that God made, and he put him in the garden, which the Garden of Eden. I mean, the Garden of Eden was probably, that area was probably about as big as the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. But it said that he put the person in there to work it and to keep it. And you're like, oh, okay, there it is. God made us to be like his little, you know, elves and like do all of his chores and stuff. But actually in the Hebrew language where it says to work it and to keep it, the word it is not in the original Hebrew 
writing of that in either place. It says that he, we were that we were put that he, he was put in that garden for working and for keeping. And the word work isn't the normal word for work. It's a word that's used of the work that priests did in the tabernacle and later in the temple. It's like it's a worshiping word. We were made to worship, like to be in a relationship with God. And the word keeping is a word that's usually used of keeping like God's like commandments and stuff, the things that God tells us to do. And you're like, yeah, but how can you, there's like 614 of those, but there's, but in Luke chapter 10, Jesus was talking to somebody and asking somebody about like, what, so if you, what, if you put all those commandments together, what is the greatest one of them? Like how, what's the one that kind of, if you do it, you're kind of going to do all of them. And he, and Jesus said, it's this, that you're supposed to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's just love. Like God made you to be in relationship with him, to worship him, and just to love him, like to love him with your, like, with your heart, like with your emotions that you, you know, you laugh at the things that God laughs at. Don't laugh at things that God, God doesn't think is funny. Like you don't get angry about things that make God sad. Like you, you want to just like feel the things that God wants you to feel. You don't want to have attitudes or opinions or values that God doesn't want you to have. And you know, it's like you love him with all your soul. Like it's like that word is the word psyche, where we get psyche, like your passions. Like I want to be passionate about this, passionate about loving God. It's like the goal of my life. It's the goal of my day. I want to love him with all of my mind. I want to think about how could I love God today? Like, how could I show him that I love him? I just, I just want, I want to think about it. You know, I want to just figure this out more than anything in my life of how, how can I, can I love him? I want to be like that dog, you know, that you get at the dog pound and you bring him home and he just loves you. Like he wouldn't have a life without you if you hadn't brought him from the dog pound. And so he'll just, he just wants to be with you. He just wants to be at your feet. Anything you tell him to do, he'll do it, even if he doesn't understand it. And you, you start to get the feeling that your dog's getting a little bit chubby because you feed him better than they fed him at the dog pound. So you take him out every night and you have this stick and you throw it and say, go get it, buddy. And he goes and gets the stick and brings it back and drops it. And then you throw it again and he runs and gets it and brings it back and drops it out of your feet and wags his tail. You do it again. And then your dog is like, uh, I don't fully understand this. I mean, because I keep like bringing it back to you and you keep like throwing it. And I don't know if you either want it or don't want it. But hey, bud, I don't care. I will do like whatever you say, whatever you say, even if I don't get it. You know, so you think about because I owe my life to you. I owe everything to you. So, you know, when you think about like, like, um, even like w what it says in the scriptures about God's plan for human sexuality and it's like it's and like the will of Jesus for human sexuality and it's really rigorous I mean like it's a it's you know, it's it's kind of strict and it's um you know it's a gender thing and it's a number thing and you're only supposed to be doing it with like one person and it's um seasonal thing like you're not supposed to do it with anybody not even in your mind before you make a commitment to that one person of fidelity and exclusivity and you know and permanence and then you make that commitment and then the will of god is when it's 
the season, when it's in season, it's his will for you to have a holly jolly Christmas. And in case you didn't hear, oh by golly, have a holly jolly Christmas. I mean, like really open up the gift and super enjoy it. And I mean, but there's almost nobody, I mean, nobody, if there ever was anybody who's ever really done that perfectly, who's ever said to Jesus, I owe it all to you, so I'm going to do exactly what you said. I mean, who's done that? And it turns out that, like, according to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, like, so why is God so restrictive and about the way he wants human sexuality to be lived out? And in Ephesians chapter 5, it goes on to say it's really, really a deep mystery, but it has to do with his love for us. And there was something that he wanted to communicate in a place deep inside of you, like deep in your soul or something through his will for human intimacy that would communicate something to you about the way he feels about you. There was something that he wanted to say and we've messed that up completely. We owed it to him to do it his way because he just wanted love and he just, because he just like loves us. And I was supposed to love him with all my heart, like with all my mind, with all my soul. I was supposed to love him back. And sometimes you think, well, how, how do you do that? And there's a place where, like Jesus said, if you love, if you love hungry people, you're loving me. If you love, if, if you clothe the naked, it's like clothing me. If you visit people in prison, if you welcome immigrants, that there are certain people, I, the American theologian Jonathan Edwards said that God has left the poor in the world as receivers of love. For the love that you have for Jesus, you show it to them and you're showing it to him. And we were supposed to love them with all of our heart and with all of our mind and with all of our soul, the disfavored, the poor, the lonely, the immigrant. And we haven't. We haven't. We owed it to him. And we haven't. And this woman, at some point understood I have an unpayable debt. What if you knew how much you owe him? What if you knew how great a debt you had? Somehow she knew. You know, I don't, I don't really know who this woman was. At some point, she had had an encounter with Jesus where she understood that she had been forgiven of the debt she owed. And, you know, in my mind, I've always wondered, was she that woman... You know that woman in John chapter 8 where um, it, was a, it, was a, 
It was a woman who was trapped by men who hated Jesus. They were going to try to trap him in an unresolvable question and make him either decide if he was going to contradict Moses or contradict his own heart. But I think, I mean, the way, the way this had to have happened was there must have been somebody who was a part of their team who was saying words to this woman. Maybe it was words that she hadn't heard in a long time. And it was making her feel a little, I don't know, you know, kind of taken by him. And maybe in her loneliness or whatever, and he was saying this stuff to her, she fell for him, and before you know it, she fell in bed with him. And maybe it went on for a while that they were having this affair. But I mean, his thing was, with his buddies, when they figured out when was the perfect time to do it, and when they could find Jesus at the right time, they were going to burst through the window because to accuse somebody of adultery, you had to catch them while you were while they were actually, um, as they say in the Italian language, facendo l'amore insieme, like actually doing that. And at just the right moment, they jumped through the window and they grabbed her. Their buddy ran away and they grabbed her. They knew where Jesus was. It was before the sun came up at the temple teaching people. And they dragged her naked, trapped by people who hated Jesus. And now dragged, I mean, maybe, they, maybe she put a sheet around her. Maybe, maybe not. Naked and humiliated in public, thrown down at the feet of Jesus, awaiting judgment because she loved someone who didn't really love her. And they said, so what do you say? They're buster. And it said that Jesus just stooped down and began to write in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. It could be that he wrote Rachele, the sister of Rabbi Eliakim on June 17th, 27 A.D., behind your barn. And a guy was like, uh-oh, dropped his rock, walked away. Jesus said, if there's anybody that's without sin, let him be the first one to throw your rock. And stoop down and maybe started to write some other names and maybe some other dates. And rock started to drop. And before you know it, everyone was gone. And Jesus said, where are the people that condemn you? And she said, there's no one. He said, I don't condemn you. You know, I... I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, I would be, I would expect that he said other things to her. There was a woman one time he called her daughter. I wouldn't be surprised if he said, daughter, I don't condemn you. I forgive. Not you. I forgive your debt. The word forgive is a Greek word that means to release or to let go. He said, I'm going to release your debt. 
because I'm never going to let go of you. I want to hold on to you. You're clean. You're forgiven. Your debt is gone. And I mean, she, I mean, she had been so humiliated and so broken and so ruined that her life was ruined. And now Jesus is telling her, you have a complete new start. All that you owed me is gone because I just love you and you can love me. And she understood like from the life that I have is complete grace. Like he's giving me the gift of my life back of my, even my dignity back to be loved by him is my dignity back my life is grace. The word, like whenever you say grace, like over your food, will somebody say grace? Basically what you're saying is, it is by the grace of God that we have something to eat today. It, I'm calling this food grace, mercy. It is by God's mercy. Just think about it. The word think is a German word that's related to the word thank. Just think about it. You have a life because he loved you and he canceled your debt. All, all, all I should feel from now on is thankful. That's the way she felt. I'm just thankful for the life you gave me, the life you gave back to me. What if she knew what you know? What if she knew? I mean, how much would she have sobbed? How many tears would have fallen? How much would she have kissed his feet if she knew what you know? That the way Jesus released her from her debt was by paying it himself. You know, sometimes, you, you know, I've thought, why is it that God, why is it that God couldn't just have forgiven us? Like, why, why did Jesus, God the Son, have to come to earth and to die that torturous, horrible death for God to forgive us? Like, why couldn't he, I can forgive people. I don't fully know the answer to that, except that, the justice of God demanded that there be a payment for our debt. I know it had to be. But if you think about it as a debt, if someone has a debt with you, like if somebody owes you like $1,300 and they tell you that you're gonna, they're going to pay you on the on the 7th of next month. And then on the 7th, they said, you know, I don't really have it. Could I have another month? You give them another month. And at the end of at that month, they say, you know, I really don't have it. Could I have another month? And you realize I'm never going to see this money again. So you could make them pay in other ways, or you could just say, I forgive you. I forgive your debt. If you forgive that debt, you pay it 
You're out the money. You're paying it yourself. And many scholars believe that that concept is inherent anytime you forgive. You basically, in order to forgive them, you absorb the consequences of their debt, of their misdeed yourself. And if God were to forgive us, God had to come here and pay it himself. And Jesus was able to forgive her debt because he paid it. He took her place. He voluntarily allowed himself to be trapped by people who hated him. And he found himself naked and humiliated in public and nailed to a cross, not awaiting judgment, but bearing it because he loved someone who didn't really love him back. Her and me and you. And he paid it. And you've trusted him. And your incalculable debt is gone. Because I really, it's like I really don't have the right to live on this earth. Like I really don't, I forfeited that. I really don't have the right to expect to be loved and cared for. I forfeited that. But he paid for me. And I do have a life. And I can know that I'm loved. And I can count on him to care for me. Not because of what I did, but because of what he did. And I am nothing. I am nothing but thankful. And I should be thankful that Jesus paid my debt and that I live and I'm loved because Jesus paid my debt. And I should never, ever, 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 ever forget that. I should remember it in the morning. I should remember it at noon. I should remember it in the evening. I should remember it at night that I live and I'm loved because he paid my debt. And thankfulness should be my baseline. It's the only emotion I really have the right to feel. May we never forget. I would have been hard. I would have been on my own. I'd have fallen apart if I had to go Just a hopeless case But then you showed up When I was all disgraced Oh, how you cared Yeah, you were there And who would I be 
tell you 